Good day, and welcome to the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for people living in the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. Today's Pandemi story comes from Megda from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who shares with Dave what it's like raising a baby in a pandemic. Physical distancing in parks with a young family is one thing, but what will winter be like? The power of community and love of family shine hope during these dark pandemic times. Hi, and welcome to the Pandemic Show. It's Dave, and I'm here with Magda Kwinecka from Philadelphia. How are you today, Magda? Doing all right, hanging in. How are you, Dave? I'm finding a lot of hope and positivity in these conversations, these fireside chats on the Pandemic Show, to connect with people from around the world and hear how we're all going through the same sort of challenges around isolation. Using technology, that kind of fills my bucket. It gives me some joy. I love how you put that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. Let's just jump right into it. What was your life like before the pandemic in Philadelphia? Well, our baby was born in October. And by like February, March, life was feeling a little bit more stable. I was actually able to you know, go out and see folks. And I think sometime maybe late February or early March, I remember I like got on my bike and biked to someone's house for a community meeting and then got back on my bike and biked home. And I was like, oh, like I can have some elements of my old life back, even though we have a baby. And then everything shut down. So in some ways it feels like the pandemic was sort of an extension of that like newborn fog where you're not really interacting with a lot of folks. You don't even know what day of the week it is. So in some ways, it feels like we've been living the, the shutdown, you know, since last October. Of course, we have a baby at home, which is amazing. But just in terms of connecting with other people, it's, it, it's felt like it's been a really long time. So you're going through isolation even before the pandemic, just around the circumstances of having a new baby. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, in some ways, more connection, too, with, like, new moms and other babies. But but in a way, it, it is really isolating. And when, and congratulations on your baby and you. and having a wonderful family. That's exciting. And were, were grandparents able to meet the baby? Yeah, 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 yeah. So last Christmas, we had, we hosted Christmas and, and lots of family came from both sets of parents and my brother and my partner's sister with their families. Yeah, and I guess actually I was in, I was back home in Canada in March, just when the pandemic was like starting to, you know, when I was going to Waterloo, it felt like, oh, maybe I should get some hand sanitizer for the flight. And then at the end of the week, when I was getting ready to come back, I was like, oh, should I even be getting on this flight anymore? It was like that week when everything ramped up. So he's seen his grandparents a, a few times. And, and my, my partner's parents are not too far away in, in New York State. Oh, that's good to hear. I know in episode one, we talked to Meredith and her family. They had a newborn, Patrick, right when the pandemic was starting. So pa little baby Patrick hasn't had got to meet his grandparents yet just because of the travel restrictions and whatnot. So it's, it's good to hear that, you, that, that your family didn't face those same challenges. So yeah, no, that, I mean, that's so tough. That, that must be really difficult. F family really just seems to be the big pull, the big push, the big pull kind of factor during the pandemic. And that's what people seem to be feeling the isolation from most It'll be exciting when we can get back to times when we can gather without worry of, of our safety. 
But you mentioned that the pandemic was kind of really getting going. The pandemic was really kind of getting going in March and you had been doing a family visit. So what, what kind of happened then once the pandemic got going, how did it affect your life positively or negatively? So I did that week and my partner teaches at a university nearby. So that all got shut down and moved online. I, I, I wasn't working. So we had him home a lot more, which was really nice. And, you know, in some ways we've, we've spent a lot, a lot more time at home and with the baby than I think we would have if not for the pandemic. And I did have an awesome group of, of, of new moms here. We, we became friends when we were all pregnant and we, we stayed in touch and, and we still see each other like in parks, you know, in socially distanced kind of circumstances. So that's been really nice, but it's, it's, it's been really challenging. I mean, I think, you know, over the summer we found good ways of, of hanging out with folks like in the park or on walks or whatever. And now it's getting colder and grayer. It's not as cold, obviously, as, as in Canada. In fact, today it was 15 degrees uh, Celsius. And we went for a little hike with, uh, with another family with a little kid. But yeah, it just feels, especially, you know, Stefan's ability to hang out with other kids is definitely something that's, that's been on my mind. So we, we delayed starting daycare, but we are actually starting daycare this week, despite the, the big surge in cases here. And, and hopefully that's a good idea. I, I mean, it feels like a good idea in terms of letting him hang out with other kids, which feels really important. He doesn't even, yeah, it's, it's been a long time since he's, you know, been within six feet of, a, of another kid, so... I've heard some interesting strategies. I talked to to one family where they'll kind of go into a lockdown with their family for two weeks, and then they'll have their children play with cousins Mm -hmm. for a day or two, and then they'll go back into lockdown. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I work in early childhood education, so this is something I've researched as well, too. And it can be done safely. Mm -hmm. It can be done safely in small numbers and I mean, that's been shown in jurisdictions that have been hit hardest, especially and with first responders. So I think it's, I think putting the children in daycare for their socialization and their well-being is, can be done safely. And I think it's been shown. Mm-hmm. It does get into more gray territory when you look at public education and some of the larger class sizes and the different mm-hmm. models that happen there. But yeah, it has, it has been done safely. And I know there's some of the, the, you know, the kindergarten age kids in my family are in daycare and then the rest are all doing the homeschooling on the computer option. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we did. I think you guys call it bubble, right? We, we bubbled with another family in August with, with the kids Stefan's age. And that was really nice. Well, actually, I mean, they were kids. So Stefan stuck his finger in the other kid's eye. There was lots of screaming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hopefully daycare will go a little more smoothly. Yeah, so, so that has been nice. I think once we're in daycare, we probably won't be in that kind of close proximity with anyone else, obviously, because there's a, a lot of potential exposure from daycare. So, and What are the numbers like? We're talking in December. We're going through a, they call it a second wave here in Southern Ontario. And I'm not, I, you're the first person we've talked to in Philadelphia, so I'm not sure what the COVID number situation looks like. Could you give us a little background just on the city and what's been going on in Philadelphia? I know it has been making headlines. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the numbers are right now. I know it's it's bad. Like whatever you guys call bad in Canada is is nothing compared to what's what's here. I think you know. So we we had a spike in things started to shut down in March, and then we had a big spike in April, like in a lot of places, and, and then we flattened the curve. You know, then 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 that spike went away, and in July when there was a big spike across a lot of the U.S., we didn't have one. The cases here were pretty flat, and, and that was great. 
And then, you know, starting in September, the university that I teach at, Temple University, started to have some classes in person and there was a big spike from that. And it's just kind of been growing since then. And now I think the, the number of daily cases is like three or I don't even know, three or four times greater than it was in, in April. And so whatever we were freaking out about in April is, is, is much, much worse now. I think like a lot of places, you know, black and brown communities are disproportionately affected. So in Philly, I forget what they said, like maybe 10% of people have had the virus. I only know one person who's had it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think quite disproportionate in, in that sense. And those communities also are communities that are, I think are experiencing it more severely, you know, not, not just in greater numbers, but also, also, you know, more serious illness and, and, and death. And, and, and Philadelphia is, a, as they say in the U.S., a majority minority city. So I think, I think it's like maybe 40% African-American, 35% white. So, yeah, that's something that we're, we're very aware of here. There's a debate here in Southern Ontario about what's driving this surge in numbers. And some people are saying it's, it's people who are being irresponsible, social gathering in homes or whatnot. And then there's other people saying that it's just the conditions that our system is set up with, with low-income families living in high numbers in small densities, which is very conducive for the spread of a respiratory virus. So it seems like it's similar fact evidence up here with what's happening, I, I wonder, and I hope that we're going to come out of this more unified and kind, and and with a more of a collective sense of collective action than we came into it. And hopefully, we can address some of these structural inequalities that are that have been exposed by the coronavirus. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of hope really for the U.S. I mean, you know, in, in the U.S., everyone knows about these structural inequalities, right? It's, it's not news. And of course, there's more attention to them now. And, and, you know, the killing of George Floyd led to huge protests in Philly. And then there was actually an African-American man, Walter Wallace Jr., who was killed by police in Philly, I guess maybe in October. And there were huge protests. And, and you know, there is sort of a national reckoning happening maybe, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of layers of challenge and dysfunction and, and maliciousness in the U.S. That, that I think are preventing change from happening, you know. So I'm, I'm hopeful, like, on the small local level, you know, like, my neighbors all exchange phone numbers and we run errands for each other and there's been lots of great sort of mutual aid projects happening. But I, I don't know. I mean, the U.S. has lots to reckon with. And I'm not sure that, that it's doing a great job of doing that. It has been pretty upsetting headlines uh, coming out of the States for most of the fall. Yeah. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of political, politi- politicization. But what have, what have you been doing anything fun to keep busy during, during the, the pandemic? I've been, I've been trying to just go hiking and do outdoor activities like birding. I know I'm getting caught more on the computer talking to people and, you know, consuming online content, but have you been doing anything fun with the family with your time at home in isolation, gardening, home renos? We've been doing a lot of hiking and lots of cooking. We have a meal exchange with another family. We're going to have a Christmas cookie exchange. So we've been trying to, we've been trying to, you know, do some 
some stuff. We are doing this project where we got paired with a, a songwriter to write a lullaby for Stefan. And that's been really fun. We're like not musical at all. And I was really hoping, you know, looking forward to going to music classes with Stefan so that he can musically rise above the level of his parents. But obviously music classes have not been possible. But we've been meeting with this songwriter on Zoom, both with her and then with like all the other families that are in the project. And that's been really fun and, and trying to like, you know, get involved in our community where, where we can. I, I think I, I would like to do more of that in the, in the new year. It's a little challenging to figure out kind of what exactly is the right, the right way to go about doing that. I've, I've been doing a little bit of work with prison activists here and prison abolitionists, and that's been really interesting. And obviously prisons are like super hard hit in Pennsylvania and, and everywhere. So, you know, trying to do things that both that feel meaningful kind of in a larger way and then also just enjoyable in our lives. An interesting story on a similar note I heard out of Iran when things started heating up there is that they they let people out of the prisons to go home to weather it out. And then I think they're going to pick up where they left off after the pandemic subsides. That seemed pretty, seemed like a good policy for nonviolent offenders. Yeah. And, you know, I think Pennsylvania said that they were going to do that as well. And not that exactly. I think they were going to try to commute sentences and they did some, but, but I think very few. Our prison population is down, I think, a lot over its peak just a few years ago, just here in Philadelphia. But, but I think there's, you know, there, there's not been enough kind of release of especially nonviolent offenders and, and not enough sort of measures taken to prevent the spread in prisons. The real, in, up here in Southern Ontario, retirement homes, long-term care places where seniors are living in high numbers, they seem to be really getting hit. hit. And then jobs like meat packers or where people are working in close densities are really getting hit. What are the, what are the hot spots besides prisons down in Philadelphia where they're having trouble containing the virus? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's so widespread here that it's hard to track anymore where it's coming from. Definitely prisons and long-term care, you know, elderly folks and those kind of places. Uh, but beyond that, I think it, it was interesting when I, when I listened to CBC, sometimes they'll talk about like, oh, there was an outbreak and like associated with such and such a daycare or whatever. We don't have any of that kind of news. And, and I think it's, we've really failed at contact tracing and now the virus is just really widespread. So I, I don't really know. So there's so much community spread that the contact tracing avenues have been overwhelmed. Well, I think we never really, I, I don't know too much about this, but I think we never really kind of mobilized contact tracing in an effective way. You know, people don't answer their phones and I actually don't know what it's like in Ontario, but there's like strong privacy laws here. So, you know, I, when briefly I was supposed to teach in person, I think I wasn't even allowed, I, I, I forget exactly, but there's like real limitations on what you can require people to report. Like, can a student in my class, is, is a student in my class required to tell me if they had COVID and came to class? And, and I think the answer might've been no, you know? So there's, I think there's lots of limitations coming from, you know, in general, obviously privacy laws are good, but I think in this case, it's, it's a big challenge. The U.S. has definitely taken a different policy approach to this than other jurisdictions. I know speaking with, with, with Thomas Andrews in, in Vietnam, contact tracing was a big, big source of combating and eradicating the virus 
And if somebody was found to have COVID, they would, they wouldn't keep it a secret. They'd let people know so that family could be supported. And then once COVID was gone, they could be reintegrated. And I remember hearing news early on in the pandemic with the states where they didn't want to stigmatize people. So people would come forward rather than hide that they had it. So it is very, very complex. I know where I am in Southern Ontario, I wear a mask to, for the health of the people around me, just out of kindness and consideration of the people around me. I'm wondering about getting some special winter masks. Do, are people wearing masks uh, in Philadelphia? Yeah, you know, so we actually came to Ontario. We were in Ontario from September uh, to the middle of November. And when we left, like most people were wearing masks. I mean, we don't really go indoors, you know, so, so I'm not sure what was going on exactly indoors. But when we came back, it was a huge difference. Everybody's wearing masks outside all the time. It's really, yeah, it's, it's been a big difference. And, and Philadelphia, you know, I, I think the news that you hear from the U.S., is not necessarily representative of what's going on in Philadelphia. Obviously, there's these anti-mask things going on, but Philly is not really a spot where, where a lot of that's happening. Outside of Philly, in Pennsylvania, yes. <laughs> but in Philly, I think we're, we're pretty much in agreement. And what a, with the baby, what extra precautions? I guess you're just not going into places and hand sanitizing, physical distancing, and... Yeah, the incentive or the, the motivation would be like, let's protect this baby and get them, let's raise this baby. Yeah, I think, you know, now that we're going to daycare, we've decided that we're not going inside anywhere at all. Like we used to sometimes go into shops. I like, I hate grocery delivery, you know, but we're just, we're getting everything delivered. We're doing what we can to avoid Amazon and to try to, you know, buy from local stores. But yeah, we're not, we're not going indoors anywhere because there's so much, I think, potential exposure from daycare that we don't want to increase our risk anymore. There is research that says that babies or like little kids don't really spread the virus, but I still feel like there's so much that we don't know about the virus, you know, and it's, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't feel like I need to go to the grocery store. Right. So that's, I think that's what we'll be doing through the winter and, and hopefully, you know, people are supposed to start getting vaccinated tomorrow and then spring will come and hopefully things, things will, get better yeah <laughs> it's darkest before the light and with the winter solstice just a week away i think we're going to be in for an interesting winter yeah definitely definitely here i think the winter you know it's warmer um which is nice it, it makes it easier to sort of hang out with folks outdoors but it's also really gray the winter here is is, is pretty tough we have one kind of sunny window where I'm going to set up a desk and, uh, and hopefully bask in the sun when, when it comes out. But yeah, the winters here can be, can be pretty oppressive. What's the economy? How's the economy adapting in Philadelphia? Anything interesting happening in terms of winners or losers? I know up here there's concern that the, the big box stores are kind of the winners and the, the independent retailers that don't necessarily sell essential goods are the losers as they're forced to shut down. What's, what's kind of the dynamic there? I know myself, I'm trying to go to takeout to do some takeout at restaurants, but other than that, we're stockpiling food, hoping to not have to do much shopping in the winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what's happening kind of on a broader scale, you know, but I think in our little local community i think folks are really trying to support local businesses you know primarily online and yeah my friend actually is 
volunteering at a bookstore and she said it's been super, super busy. And so that's great. You know, folks are trying to support restaurants. We like, because it's warmer, there's still, you know, restaurants still have patios and, and some of the streets actually have been shut down for restaurant patios, which is pretty nice. And there have been, you know, a neighbor set up this thing where she goes around to different farmers and, and buys produce and then, and then sells it. You know, you, you can, you can sort of sign up at the beginning of the week for, for how much of everything you want. And so that's been a pretty cool model. Our local bakeries like now has all kinds of, you know, lots of baked goods, but also like baking supplies and coffee. And so that's been nice. So we've been trying to, to support that where we can. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's tough. I think, you know, especially the low income workers in the city are, are really hard hit and, and they're the ones who can't stay home and, and can't work from home and, and, and potentially don't have health insurance, you know, or, or are more likely to not have health insurance. And at higher risk across the board of contracting COVID. Right. Yeah. And not being able to get the high-end three-day treatment, spa treatment that, that, <laughs> that the well-to-dos qualify for. Right. Have, so, you know, e- even though it's tough for us, we're, we're sort of really aware of the fact that we're very lucky. And I, one of the trends we've noticed here is housing prices are soaring Hmm. and then rural properties, the market has picked up on, looks like there's a, we're close to Toronto. So when Toronto hiccups, we all feel it. People seem to be doing a bit of an exodus from Toronto and real estate prices continue to surge around the GTA, around the Hmm. golden horseshoe. Have you seen any kind of economics in the real estate market like that? I'm not too sure what's happening here. I mean, I think, you know, separate from the pandemic, Philadelphia has been a city where you can live pretty cheaply. And that's, that's rapidly changing. There's a lot of development going on and a lot of people moving into the city. And that's really putting pressure on, on affordable housing. And we're, you know, we're hoping that for city policies that will kind of enshrine, you know, these places that are getting built up now with luxury apartments or whatever, those empty lots are never going to come back, right? So I think there's some awareness associated with the pandemic that the city policy-wise needs to do something to preserve affordable housing. We have had an eviction moratorium for a while, and there actually was, there were a couple of homeless encampments that whatever, it was a complicated back and forth with the city, but ended with the city promising to get housing for the people who were in the encampment. And we're, I guess, hopeful that, that maybe that's something that, that will continue to happen. But yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know what Philly's going to look like after this. I think it's, it's a very, very poor city. And, you know, the pandemic has just kind of filtered money up, you know, so there's a more money for, you know, the, the wealthier are just getting wealthier um, and the poor are getting poorer. I read recently that one South American country has introduced a wealth tax as a way to combat expenses associated with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully we can be progressive like that here. And there's not a shortage of money. It's just, it seems to be income inequality and, and resource redistribution is the problem. Just has come back to me. I, I remember when things were really heating up in Philadelphia on the street as people are f- fighting against structural inequality, hearing one older gentleman, who he was a black African-American, and he was talking to a podcaster who had also been picked up in a sweep by ununiformed officers and put in an unmarked van and driven away to the detention center. 
And while they were in the van, the people all talked and the, and the old gentleman shared his story. And he said he'd been going to these types of things since the 60s. And he said what felt different about this time was it wasn't just his, his group. He felt that there was a real multicultural solidarity of all the different groups of people in Philadelphia. That seems to be a trend, a positive trend in other areas of the United States and the world. I know Kitchener people were dropped their jaws when the Black Lives Matter rally in the middle of the pandemic drew over 10 to 15,000 people in downtown Kitchener. Mm-hmm. A type of turnout that you, you might see that, you don't even see that at Oktoberfest in one place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of, as dark as it does seem going into the winter solstice, there's does seem to be lots of stories of hope and organizing at the grassroots level. So it'll be interesting to see if it trickles up. Now, does your family have anything special you're looking forward to post post pandemic or when it is safe to gather with others worry free? Oh man. Huh. I don't know. I hadn't thought that far that far out. I think just regular things, you know. I think of course grandparents and friends and I mean I think when the pen who knows I'd be over in the summer. And, and it'll be easier to hang out with people in the summer anyway. I think, you know, the idea of like going into people's houses and, and just having like physical closeness, I think will, will be a big difference. Yeah, it's hard, you know, with a kid, I feel like my, my sense of the passage of time is really changing too. Like I, I can't imagine what is he going to be like in, in July? Yeah, I, I, I just honestly can't imagine what that's going to be like. <laughs> so he's, he's about 16 months now? He's, yeah, 14 months. 14 months. Yeah. Oh, it happened so fast. It does and it doesn't. Yeah. It feels like a very long time ago that he was just like a little worm who couldn't react. Now he has all kinds of, you know, opinions and and perspectives and desires that he can't articulate very well yet. (laughs) Well, I'm sure by, by... By his mid twos and threes, he'll be ta- chatting up a storm. <laughs> no doubt. And how do you think this pandemic might impact this 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 newest generation? Little Stefan yeah. and baby Patrick. Yeah, that that's something that really stresses me out. I think. I mean, hopefully. I don't know. I've been reading a, a, a few things that sort of say that at this age, the most important relationship for kids is with their parents. And so, you know, he's getting more of us, I think, than he otherwise would. I'm excited that he's going to go to daycare and, and you know, learn how to be around other kids and, and, and hopefully enjoy that. Yeah, hopefully it'll just be some weird thing that we'll tell him about one day that he's not going to remember. I'm glad that he's not, you know, my neighbor is doing kindergarten on Zoom. That seems like a whole other crazy challenge. So I'm glad he's not that age. I guess one of the things, like it just kind of feels a little boring here and I definitely kind of, and maybe this is just me projecting, but I definitely feel sometimes like he's bored, you know, whereas in the before world, we would be hanging out with other people and, you know, going to music and going to story time at the library and going to the museum, we have great museums in Philly. I think we'll check out the zoo. Someone mentioned that, that the zoo is a good spot to go but it can be hard to sort of try to like mix things up for him enough, you know? Well, I really appreciate your time talking to us on the pandemic show. It's good to touch in with, with 
a knowledgeable person in the city of brotherly love. But all in all, you think Philadelphia is going to come through this stronger than they went into it? Oh, I, I hope so. I mean, definitely we're, you know, we're getting to know our neighbors better and, and realizing that we're working on a project together. So, so that, feels, that feels good. Yeah, I just hope that we can, can participate as a community in collective action in all of our different communities at the, at the grassroots level, because I think if we can do that, we're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Pandemic Show, and tell Stefan and your partner all the best. All right, thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to this week's story from the Pandemic. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemyshow.ca. Be a part of our community by rating, subscribing, and sharing the Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Stories from the Pandemic for the people of the Pandemic.